Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, hey, this time of year is all about gratitude and family and friends and connecting. So because of that, I wanted to share an episode that I I created last year all about self-care. Now, do keep in mind, this was pre-COVID when I officially recorded this, so some of it might seem a little bit out of touch, but do your best to fill in the blanks and make sure that this episode is relevant to you. The reason I chose this episode for a replay is because this time of year, self-care is so important, and I actually view self-care very differently. So I think it's going to be helpful for you, especially as we wrap up 2020, the hellish year that it has been it will help you get your head on straight again and start to see things from the right perspective. So I hope you enjoy this replay. Happy holidays, and I will see you on Friday for 5 Tip Friday. Hello, and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hanson, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. I've had self-care on my mind a lot lately, and I think part of the reason is because I actually recently went through this very serious period of burnout where I legitimately, you guys, all weekend, I think this was maybe three weeks ago, I couldn't do anything. I mean, I chose not to do anything. It was just one of these things where I'd been going so hard for so long that I completely wore myself out. And I sat there thinking about it. And I was like, God, where did I go wrong? How could I have been better about this so that I don't have to spend an entire weekend just laying in bed and being, I don't know, I wasn't depressed, but I felt like I was depressed during that time. And I think that's very normal, right? I think we all go through those periods, especially in today's world. We're so busy. We're all so busy. We almost wear it like a badge of honor. It kind of bothers me in a lot of ways that we we try to be so busy and fill our schedules because we think that's the right thing to do when really all we're doing is setting ourselves up for a weekend like I just experienced where you have to just chill out and not do anything and try to get back to the basics. But that's where self-care I think comes in. And I did a ton of different research for this episode to try to figure out what's the best information I can give you so that when you experience these many like stressful situations, or maybe it's a huge stressful situation, you can pause, reflect on this episode and start to get back on track. And so where my research ended up leading me is to different variations of self-care. So let's think about this. When we think of self-care, the traditional verbiage is take a bubble bath go get a manicure or pedicure, go read a book, go take a little walk. So it's all these things that are trying to alleviate stress and somehow care for ourselves. And don't get me wrong. Those things are awesome. I think they're great, but I do those things and I still experience severe burnout. So I was trying to figure out where did I go wrong? How could I be better? 
And ultimately, my research led me to some really, really great information that I think is going to help you too. But before we dive into all of the content, and you're definitely going to want to take notes, I'm super excited to introduce you to the latest sponsor of the Money Nerds podcast. So here's a quick note from them. Okay, so question. Have you ever gone to a yoga class or done a yoga video and felt like, whoa, this is pretty dang scary? There's instructions in ancient foreign languages. It's got this super serious vibe and we're setting intentions. If the answer to that question is yes, then Bulldog Yoga Online is just the thing for you. We've all heard and read about amazing benefits of yoga, increased strength, better flexibility, who doesn't want that, improved mental focus, etc. But many of us have tried yoga and have never gone back or have been afraid to try because of how intimidating that experience can feel. That's where Bulldog Yoga comes in. Bulldog Yoga Online is about taking the intimidation out of yoga and replacing it with music, smiles, and no judgment. Bulldog streaming online classes are available anytime, anyplace on your schedule. Bulldog Yoga Online classes are taught in English. There's no Sanskrit to it, so you don't feel like you don't understand what they're actually saying, and it's set to great playlists. There are lots of classes available from their Bulldog Basics series for newbies like me to aerobic-oriented classes, which incorporate resistance bands for an extra challenge. And the cool thing is classes range from 12 to 60 minutes. Try your first month for completely free at bulldogonline.com slash 30 dash days dash free. Once again, that's bulldogonline.com slash 30 dash days dash free. I'll link in the show notes as well. Give it a shot. I know you guys are going to enjoy it as much as I have. So when doing my research, where I ended up getting to when it comes to self-care is I ended up figuring out that there is a huge difference between self-care in the traditional sense of escaping stress and self-care in the sense of having it be a managed mind, that self-care is managing your mind. When I started to understand the differences between the two, it started to really be very changing and, and pivotal for my life. So let's dive into a couple of the really key pieces when it comes to self-care. So you can still take your bubble bath, you can still get your nails did, you can still do all of that stuff. That's totally fine. But don't expect that to be your only form of self-care or you're going to experience burnout. Through my research, of course, I ended up with a few different TED Talks, and one of the TED Talks that I've listened to forever ago and I came back to again in this moment was titled, How to Make Stress Your Friend, and this TED Talk really did rock my world, and that's why we're starting with this point is because there's a huge difference between stress and stress. Stress is like, I know, kind of sounds kind of weird. It's E-U and then stress, stress. That's the good stress. That's the stuff that helps us. To, it's the fight or flight responses. True story. The other day, my little brother, I was over at his house and I left a charger in his house. And so I'm sitting in my car and I'm getting my phone hooked up so I can listen to my podcast on my way home. And he was being such a little jerk that he just stood in front of my window and purposely was trying to be creepy. And he was, he was totally creepy. So I didn't realize he was there. I looked over, saw him there out of the corner of my eye, instead of like being very responsive and doing the right thing, like locking the door. Yeah. For some reason that didn't even occur to me. Instead, I screamed kind of punched my window, and then immediately recognized it was him. So that response, even though it's totally ridiculous, I mean, good to know that I listen to a lot of serial killer podcasts. You guys know that. So for me, that was that was good. I'm like, all right, I'm a fighter. If I'm ever in a bad situation, I know what I'm going to respond with. 
but that's not necessarily the right type of response, right? We, we aren't always very uh, smart with our responses when we're put into a really bad situation. But that response, that entire scenario, that was my stress hormones. That was exactly what my body needed to do. It wanted to move or it wanted to retreat. And in my case, it wanted to move. So that is so important to understand because how we view stress is actually more important. So here's the crazy thing. When we think about stress, we always think about, you know, it it gives you more colds, you get sick more often, there's cardiovascular disease, there's all these really, really crazy things. So they did a survey of about 30,000 adults in the United States, and they followed them for eight years, eight years. And they asked them two questions in the survey and documented their responses. The first question, and I want you to answer this for yourself too, is how much stress have you experienced in the last year? A little, a lot, a ton? no stress. How much stress have you experienced in the last year? Now, the second question is really important. The second question is, do you believe stress is harmful to your health? Do you believe stress is harmful to your health? That's the piece that we're going to be talking about. So what they found, they tracked these people, went through public records and found out, you know, how many of these people actually died years later at what age, at what person, you know, like all of the details, they looked through all the public records and figured out that the people that said that stress is harmful to your health, they believe that with everything that they have, they were 43% increased risk of dying. 43% increased risk risk of dying because you believe that stress is harmful to your health. Now, that's really interesting because a lot of times, like in the scenario I gave you with with my brother creeping me out, I don't know, don't ever do that. That's just rude. Just don't do that, guys. But with that scenario, that was a physical change, right? Immediately, I screamed. That's a physical reaction. I slightly punched my window. I don't know why I did that. That's still really weird. But that was a physical reaction. We have physical reactions to stress. Now, the cool thing is, that those physical reactions aren't necessarily bad. We view them as a negative thing, but sometimes they're actually a positive. And a lot of times what we do is when we, when we are put into a stressful situation or we feel like a really heavy thing is going on, when you're looking at your finances and you see how much debt you have and you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to get over this. This is awful. You start to feel that in your chest, in your stomach, in your shoulders, in your head. Like, where do you feel that? Start to pay attention to where do you actually feel your stress? How does it, how does it manifest in your body? Where do you truly feel it? For me, it's kind of in my chest and I get a little bit of butterflies in my tummy. That's where I feel stress the most. For Tony, it's 100% in his heart. And that scares me a little bit, but it's always in his heart. So pay attention. When you start to get stressed out, how does that show up? Now, the thing is, when we start to feel stressed out, those emotional triggers, that little physical sensation that we get when we feel stressed out, we sometimes view that as anxiety. But honestly, at the end of the day, good or bad, those changes are just energy. It's just your body responding to a situation. Now, I had to learn this when I got into public speaking because I was terrified of public speaking. I thought it was incredibly scary. I would, you know, that stat where people would rather die than, than go talk to people on a stage. That was so me. I was really, truly scared of it. And one of the things that I had to learn to deal with was managing those physical sensations in my body because I noticed when I was nervous, I would start to feel those butterflies in my tummy and it would creep up to my chest and I would start to feel super anxious. 
and I would start to get concerned because I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm not prepared. My body is telling me I'm not ready for this. This I'm not the right person. I need to get the heck out of here. That was my perception of those physical changes. Now, when I went through a lot of like Toastmasters and just lots of different ways of managing stress in your body from a public speaking standpoint, one of the things that I actually learned is those are good. That's energy. It's getting you fired up and pumped up to just own the stage. And so when I started to understand that and just realized that it's just energy and it's just prepping me for action, I started to be able to transfer the way that I felt about that sensation. So the whole point of all of this is to tell you that how you think about stress matters more in some cases than the stress itself. Now, I understand if you're going through a really, really tough time and I'm telling you, oh no, just think better about your stress. That doesn't necessarily help you. I get that. But the first step is to just start to become aware of where does stress resonate and where does it come out in your body? And then you can start to just become a little bit more conscious about your feelings of stress. The other thing that I thought was so interesting in this TED talk, she mentioned that one of the things that was so fascinating is oxytocin. You know, when they call it the, the cuddling hormone or the hugging one. So true story, Tony and I will hug for 20 seconds every day because that's supposed to be enough time to release oxytocin so we feel happier with each other. And sometimes if you're in a relationship, you know, relationships are a struggle. Let's be real. So we hug for 20 seconds because it releases oxytocin. Oxytocin makes you happy. It makes you feel connected to people, to others. It makes you feel like you're part of something bigger. It's a really great hormone, but here's the crazy thing. It's a stress hormone that is still a stress hormone. So our body still responds in a stressful state with the oxytocin hormone. I thought that was so fascinating. And one of the things that she really mentioned a lot of is some of the cure to all of this stress stuff and how you view stress and how you feel about it is caring for others and being part of a community, reaching out, connecting, hugging, touching, that kind of stuff, the stuff that we're like, uh, you know, that will help you cope with stress. And I thought that was such a really great thing to remember because at the end of the day, life is really about connection and community and making your, your mark and feeling like you matter. And sometimes that is the greatest cure to stress is community caring, oxytocin and viewing your stress as just a physical sensation. When you view it as just a physical sensation, you don't allow that to progress further and you can start to control those sensations in your body a little bit more. Now, I know that sounds really hard to swallow for a lot of people. That That's a tough one. It was really hard for me to accept that too because we go through some really crappy things in life and it's hard to think that just your thoughts on the feel, like what's happening can control that. But it's... I mean, man, guys, it's got data to prove it. There's a lot of studies that show that how you view your stress is much more important than the stress itself. Stress can be very, very damaging and deadly for you if you view it as a negative thing. If you're viewing it as just a physical sensation and you're using it to connect and communicate and can just have a better community in general, it's not as big of a deal as we think it is. So that was really one of the first things that really struck me. And it was something that I realized too, that throughout this period of burnout, I wasn't connecting with people as much as I had 
previously. That was the piece that I started to, because I'm working on a couple big projects. So I would pull away from my relationships and from my family and from Tony even. And I wasn't hanging out with Patrick as much, my little dog. It's like all these things sound so cheesy, but I was doing that. I was pulling away from that sense of community. And I was actually viewing my stress as a very negative thing. So I'm trying to be better about viewing my stress as a positive and just a physical sensation of my body. That's all it is. It's just energy. Now, the next thing that led me into some more research was when I was thinking about my stress levels and burnout, one of the the things that became really obvious to me, I track my screen time over the years. And so I track it every single week to see how many hours am I spending on my phone. Now, this is going to sound like a lot, but I spend about five, five to five and a half hours a day on my phone. To be fair, my business is an online business. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I am constantly checking social media to respond to people, to get people some content and going through my email. I spend about 30 to 40 minutes a day on my email when I'm walking on the treadmill. So that's not to say that that's okay. That's still something I'm not really that proud of, but I do spend a ton of time on my screen. And the interesting thing is I started to notice that I was spending too much time on my screen. The times where I'm supposed to be off work and hanging out with people, remember community and connection, I'm supposed to be connecting with others. I was on my phone. Maybe I'm taking pictures. That's one thing I'm hugely guilty of is I take myself out of the moment by taking a lot of pictures. And that's, you know, that's something I'm working on. But what I found is that I actually feel like I have a little bit of an addiction to my phone to my screen time. So here's the crazy thing. So addiction, we always think of as like substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, uh, that kind of stuff. But a lot of times addiction, if you look at just the definition that I buy into, it's something that you return to over and over in the short term because you want to do it. But in the long term, it undermines your well-being in at least one respect. So that's the definition I subscribe to when it comes to addiction. And I think understanding that helps you realize that maybe you are addicted to your phone too. And it's the cool thing is we can change it. So there's not any permanency here. It's something we can definitely work on. But here's the crazy thing. People on average spend about four hours per day on their phones. So screens, I think we can all agree, more screen time, the more you're on your phone, on your computer, on your TV, the more screen time you have the more that diminishes our well-being. We hear a lot about the comparison syndrome. The more you're on social media, the more you feel like you're never enough. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not buff enough. You're not, you know, your house isn't perfect. So you're a mess. Your, Your yard is not immaculate. What's wrong with you? Your kids aren't behaving properly. They're not sitting there coloring like little angels. What is wrong with you? That's what we feel when we look at social media all day. We start to feel like we're not enough. And you, my friend, are more than enough. You have everything you need to be successful, and damn it, you're doing the best that you can. But sometimes we fall into that trap of just resorting to our phones because it's kind of a time killer. It's just like a mind suck. It's mindless scrolling where we don't have to think about anything. We think it doesn't affect us, but it actually does because it really triggers a lot of comparison syndrome in our lives. So I went through a Calm Masterclass. Calm's the meditation app that I use, and I actually that was another thing. I wasn't meditating this frequently when before my my period of burnout. But this Calm Master class was really eye-opening for me when it comes to figuring out how do we reduce screen time, why do we do this, and how does it affect us. And one of the things that this, this educator told me was that using screens extensively when we use them a lot, like we're talking four hours a day is quite a bit. If you're using it for more than three hours a day, we're spending much less time being active, most likely. 
because our screen time gets us into this like period of like sluggishness and I've been watching Game of Thrones so I can totally relate to this at the end of the day sometimes it's like do I go to the gym or do I go and sit on the couch and watch Game of Thrones and there's been way too many times where I opted for Game of Thrones and just chilling instead of going to the gym so using screens extensively it affects our physical well-being it also affects our financial well-being. So here's how. I'm not really much of a game player. I mean, I got into Pokemon Go. I thought that was pretty fun. But I didn't really get into a lot of games. But I know that's that's me. That's not everybody. Obviously, a lot of apps and games are very, very successful. But there was a lot of overspending on games because of that screen time. So you play this game. It's a freemium model. You download the app for free. You can play for free. And as you get absorbed and sucked into this game and drawn in, much like I did with Game of Thrones you start to realize that, oh, I need to spend some money here and there. And it's not a lot. Usually it's a couple bucks here and there, and it eases your way into it. But it tends to lead to overspending. Now, the part that I've noticed specifically when it comes to screen time, when I am glued to my screen, the most that I will ever spend, when I am very like scrolling through Instagram, looking at everybody's feeds, that's when I started to notice that I was shopping on Amazon more. I was looking for clothes more because that subconscious, I felt like I wasn't good enough. I know that sounds so cheesy, but really that's what was happening to me. I was comparing my life to others. It was triggering this comparison syndrome. And I started to see these amazing people that were traveling all the time, had beautiful clothes, had an amazing home, had a killer business that was bringing in seven figures a year. And I was looking at my life and saying, what the hell's wrong with you, Whitney? Why can't you do better? And that would trigger for me when I feel, why can't I do better when I feel like I'm not enough? That's usually when I start to shop more and buy clothes because I feel like I'm not good enough. And that's one thing I can control in my life is my physical image. So that was one of the things that I noticed. The more I spend time on my phone, the more likely I am to impulse buy. So I have to be aware of that. And then the other piece that it affects from a financial standpoint is there is so much, gosh, distractions and just crap that is thrown at us in a daily basis that we don't need anymore. So when we're trying to work and we're getting notifications left and right and we're getting pings and emails and all of these things are going off and then your coworker comes and talks to you, it's like all of this stuff affects our productivity. Now your productivity especially if you're a business owner, affects your income directly. But if you're not a business owner, it still affects your income because think about it. If you're not producing as much because you can't manage your time and you're not as effective at work, you're probably not going to get the promotion. You're probably not going to get a pay increase because you aren't earning it. You're not producing as much because we're so distracted. So it's so important in the workplace for your own financial life to make your work time very productive and as efficient as possible so that you're not having to spend five days on one task that truly, when you sat down and buckled down, probably could have only take five hours max. So that's what how it affects our financial life too. Now, the next area that screen time really starts to affect us with is just our ability to be present, to be bored, to be with our thoughts. And that ability to be bored is something I'm going back to a lot more. As a kid, we were always told, you know, just go outside and play if you're bored. Take an action if you're bored. We're never really taught to just sit there with our thoughts and just analyze and become self-aware and just ponder. We're not really told to do that. We're not told to let our mind just wander around. When was the last time you just sat on the grass and looked at the clouds and tried to figure out which clouds look like what type of animals? We don't do that kind of stuff anymore because we're so dang busy. We have a choice between just being with our thoughts and just 
chilling out or turning to our phones and scrolling. And usually we opt for our phones. In fact, usually is very much the case. There's been a lot of studies on this too. One study that was done on college students was these students had a little bit of time, about 15 minutes before class. And so they would sit there and they had a choice. They could either sit and just be alone with their thoughts and just kind of, you know, think, ponder, do all that life stuff. Or, or they could walk over to a side of the classroom and they could have a slightly painful electric shock administered to them. Yeah, like what, right? Truly an electric shock. And so here's the crazy thing. Majority of the students, when it came down to choosing, sitting there being bored or going and getting an electric shock, chose the electric shock because we so hate to be bored. We so hate to be unoccupied. We want to feel productive all the time. We never let ourselves just sit there and be. And that I think is a big problem for all of us because when we can't just sit there and think and just be and just be a human and connect with nature and connect with others we're having some serious issues and of course the last area that this affects when it comes to overuse of screen time is very much social consequences I don't have kids but one of the things that I have I've been learning a lot about parenting I'm not trying to have a kid next year or anything but I do maybe eventually want to have children I think So one of the areas that I'm working on as an individual is just learning more about parenting skills and how do you, how do you reach kids and how do you train them to be contributing members of society instead of little shits? Let's be real. (laughs) So one of the things that I've learned is that kids pay attention. More is caught than taught, right? I think we all know this. Our kids are always watching. They are always, even my dog is always watching. It's kind of creepy. Like seriously, it's getting really weird, but he is always paying attention to what I'm doing. He's reading my social cues all the time. Little Patrick is. So kids are doing the exact same thing. They're listening. They're watching. They're seeing how do they respond. When I throw a fit in the middle of the grocery store, what does mom or dad do? What, what is that response there? They're trying to figure out what's going on and how to act in public. That's kind of what they're trying to do. So kids pay attention and they follow the gaze of adults. Now think about it. If you are sitting there And every time you're with your kids, you're turning to your phone and you're just always glued to your phone. Well, your kid's going to think that's normal too. So that's probably what they're going to do. They're going to be glued to their phone. They'll be slightly detached from the world and they're going to be less connected with others. Now, next time you go to dinner or next time you grab coffee and you see couples together or even just friends together, I want you to look around and see. How many people are actually on their phones versus hanging out with the person they went to the place with? It is so sad. I mean, also look around at the stoplight. That's also kind of a sad reality. When you go to the stoplight and you look around it, everybody's on their phone. I'm like, oh my God, no wonder there's so many car accidents. Like, what are we doing to ourselves? This is so dumb. But we do it. And we do that all the time at the deprivation of ourselves. This comes at our own expense. We have terrible relationships. They're not as connected. They're not as fulfilling. We have really bad effects because we're not able to absorb and process our thoughts because we don't want to be bored. We overspend because we see all of these really amazing Instagram models and we're like, damn, I'm not enough. I need to go spend money to be somewhat enough. And then we start to just become less active because we're not paying attention to our life as a whole. We'd rather just sit there and scroll through and be a lazy blob than we are to go to the gym in some cases. Now, the piece about social connection is so interesting to me because remember that oxytocin, that hormone, that stress hormone, when you connect with others, you release oxytocin, you start to feel more connected and happier and just more fulfilled in general. The more you experience oxytocin, the happier you feel. 
That is such an important piece because when we're glued to our phones, when we're viewing stress as a negative thing, we're not able to connect with others. So basically all of this research to figure out why did I experience burnout? What was going on? What could I do better? It all comes down to connection. I wasn't feeling connected enough and I was viewing my stress from a negative lens and that stress being viewed from a negative lens was not allowing myself to connect because I was so absorbed in my own thoughts and I was so absorbed into my phone and my screen that I ignored the world around me. That I think the greatest and truest form of self-care is being able to control your thoughts and connect with others. So instead of thinking that self-care is all about taking a really nice bubble bath or getting your nails done or treating yourself or feeling like you have to do external things for self-care, I want you to pause and I want you to remember this episode. Sometimes the greatest form of self-care that you can give is by allowing yourself to connect with others and build a community. So I hope this helps you. If you've been feeling like you're just feeling overwhelmed or maybe experiencing some close to symptoms of burnout, look at your screen time. How many, how many hours are you spending on your phone? Look at that first and then start to think through how do you view stress? How are you viewing that? Are you viewing it as a negative thing? Are you viewing it as something that is so harmful to your health or are you viewing it as just a physical sensation? At the end of the day, it's just energy. It's designed to prep you, but don't let that stop you from connecting with others. I think that is the true key to self-care is just feeling more connected. I would love to hear from you. Do you agree? Do you disagree? In what ways? I would love to hear all of your perspectives. And if this episode helped you in some way, then please do me the biggest favor in the world and leave me a review, five stars ideally, and let me know what about this episode really resonated for you. I am so, so grateful for your support of this podcast, and this is my way of feeling connected to you and my way of feeling like I'm helping in some way. So I am so grateful that you even support the show and are part of this journey too. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you on Friday for 5 Tip Friday or next week for our very normal segment of the Money Nerds podcast. So put your phones down, go hug your loved ones for 20 seconds at least, and start to view your stress as a positive thing and instead of such a negative thing. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys next week. Hope you're having a great day. Bye.